Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Hey, have you joined the nation yet? We had somebody join last night and they said to me, Hey, Jim, I'd like to be able to download the pledge, the pledge to start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day, the pledge to start looking for ways to serve people in your workplace, the pledge to start finding ways to befriend people that you work with outside of the office. The pledge to look for ways to pray with people, but all along the pledge to be and strive to be the best and brightest example of a Christ follower in your position, in your workplace. That's the I Work For Him Nation commitment that we're asking you to do. Pledge, and I'm not asking you to pledge to my flag, but it's that commitment to start transforming your workplace that's the I Work For Him Nation commitment. And so just I'd love for you to go out to iWorkForHim.com and make that commitment. No, it's not because it, you know, it's, I just want to know people are out there praying because I know that the power of prayer is going to transform where you work. Did you know that in the United States, over 84% of the population doesn't consider faith in Jesus Christ a priority in their lives? And the large majority of people in the United States don't even go to church on Sunday anymore. They, they Maybe they never even did. There are many churches in the United States that don't even teach the truth about Christ. In fact, the information out there is so twisted, so skewed about who Jesus is, what the Bible really says. We're in deep trouble as a country. 
We've turned our backs on our founding principles this country was, was founded on. We have said, go away, God. It's inconvenient to have an almighty, sovereign God because I feel guilty when I sin. But if I ignore the fact that there's God, maybe there's no guilt anymore. But we've stepped away from that. That's why being able to say, I work for him, is so important. Being able to say, I've made my commitment to bring my faith in Jesus Christ with me to work each and every day. Not so you can beat people over the head with the Bible, but so that you can be a light in a dark place and get an opportunity eventually to share what Christ has done in your life because your light is shining. But here's the deal. Around the country and around the world, so few people really knows what know what the Bible says. We actually have a need for a museum to be built in Washington, D.C., so that people can know and remember what the Bible has to say. And we've got a very special guest on our show today, Michael McAfee. He is with the Museum of the Bible. It is a museum being built in Washington, D.C. that will open up in 2017. And when we talk about everyday Romans 12 too, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's what this Museum of the Bible is all about. We need to let people know what the Bible really has to say. And we need to let people know where it came from and how accurate it is and how many archaeological digs there have been to verify what's going on in the Bible. But I will tell you this, and this is the end of my Jim jaunt for today. I am amazed constantly at how many people, when I ask them, when they're criticizing the Bible or they're criticizing Jesus, when I ask them, have you ever read the Bible? They say, well, no. I said, well, listen, do me this favor. Read the book of John. And they're like, well, I don't have a Bible. I'm like, no problem. I'll buy you a Bible or I'll give you a pocket testament. But read the book of John and then let's have a conversation because that's what transforms lives. Michael McAfee with the Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to I Work For Him. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be here. You know, I'm I, sorry I had to, you know, you tolerate that, tr that rant a little bit, but I'm amazed, Michael, at how few people... Uh, in in my daily walk anymore today, and I'm almost 50 years old, that really don't even know what the Bible has to say. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. I mean, even though, I mean, you mentioned 84% don't consider uh, uh, faith in Christ to be priority to them, but there's also 80, or excuse me, 91% of Americans who own a Bible in their home. So they, they have it, but they don't, uh, they don't read it. You know, most of them read it less than a few times a year. And so, uh, part of what we're hoping to do at Museum of the Bible, our big mission is to invite all people to engage with this book, that we believe that it's not only is it the best-selling book of all time, it's the most popular book, but it's had a greater impact than any other book, person, philosophy, idea in the history of the world. Well, and it is a such a historical book. It is, I mean, there have been people that say, oh, well, that stuff never really happened. And every, it seems like every year there's another major discovery that proves what the Bible has said for thousands of years was exactly right. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And so we've, we've got a lot of evidence of, uh, there's, you know, uh, there's two sides to every story. So when uh, popular level uh, literature articles come out that claim that they have you know, disprove scripture or whatever. There's also um, uh, a lot more evidence or a lot more information, typically, um, that's, that's being left out. And so we, at the museum, what we want to do is simply say, hey, let's let all of the evidence speak for itself and let, it, let people come to their own verdict of what's true and what's not. And, uh, and, and so that's what, 
that's what the museum is about, is trying to help educate people not only on the information inside this book, the narrative of this book, but we want to educate people on the history. How did we get this book and how has it survived and thrived throughout the centuries despite immense persecution? We've got on the line today Michael McAfee. He's with the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., which is going to open up in 2017. But before we get back to Michael, I want to read this verse of Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And listen to this. Most people don't even know this is out there, but this is how serious they were about understanding and memorizing the Scriptures. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You've heard that before. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Because the words in the scriptures, the words in the Holy Bible are transformational. Michael, as you guys launch this Museum of the Bible next year, what is... Uh, I told you I was going to ask you how Christ make a difference in your life. So, so I'll save that question for a second. I want to know, okay. in your life, how is Jesus Christ making a difference today? What have you seen in your life today that shows that Christ is wanting to draw you closer to him? Yeah, so uh, in, in my life personally, my wife and I have moved recently to New York City. And so uh, we're both from Oklahoma City and um, have spent our whole lives there. And so in moving... Uh, a lot of things are different. Um, even though day-to-day life is the same, uh, we're not around the people that we've always been around or the church we've always gone to and that I was on staff at or uh, or even, you know, knowing the same grocery stores and things like that. So uh, with so much change, what we found was that uh, we were really in need of community, and the Lord has been good to us to both uh, reunite us with some old friends here and, and as well uh, provide us a church here of, of people that love God, love His Word, and are um, are, are walking with us uh, together, you know, in this path of helping lead us to to sanctification in our faith in Christ. And so uh, one of the ways that, that Christ has really just been working and moving in my life is showing me and, and uh, how important those relationships are of having, you know, no one is an island. No one can walk this faith journey alone. We all need people. And so uh, showing me that and providing for us people that can walk with us has been an incredible uh, grace from the Lord in our lives right now. I, I love the way you put that, but I'm confused. The Museum of the Bible, which you're in charge of helping raise money right. for, it's in Washington, D.C., but you just That's said right. you moved to New York City. Now, maybe you got confused. I know they're only four hours apart, uh, probably three and a half. <laughs> Why New York City? Right. So, so my wife and I are on the development team, so our job is to help spread the word about this museum that is coming. And so uh, we actually have people on our team that are stationed all over the United States and cities all over the place uh, because the Museum of the Bible is actually a lot more than just a museum. Uh, obviously, that will be the headquarters, but in, in much the same way that, uh, that the Smithsonian or, or that other museums may have initiatives that go all over the place and that they may have reps all over the place to help spread the word, that's what we're doing. So um, specifically, my role is to, is to partner with and serve churches and local pastors, and so it was important for us to be in the Northeast, but it was decided that it would be best for us if we could be in New York and help develop uh, both a, a church network from here as well as a, a young leader or next generation 
network of supporters of Museum of the Bible. And so uh, we frequently take the train down to Washington. We'll be taking that in a couple weeks. Uh, but we are in Manhattan right now. I'm actually in my apartment looking out over the skyline. I heard the police Park. cars going back and forth. I heard them. I, yeah. I can hear them echoing <laughs> off of all of it. So there's some fantastic churches in Manhattan, Redeemer Presbyterian. I've had people from there on. I've also had the, uh, which is a great church and also has a workplace ministry, yeah. a huge workplace ministry as part of that church. Tim Keller, great. Right. And Dimas Salabarios, I've had him in my show. He's also got another incredible transformational church there in Queens, which I don't know any about where things are compared to other things. But uh, I, I know there's tall buildings that I've been there, but I could never tell you how to get anywhere. So what church did you guys plug into? <laughs> so yeah, so we've been attending Redeemer for the past few weeks. So you we have. at the end of November and yeah, we've been uh, we've been attending Redeemer Press and have met some people there and got connected to a small group and uh, they've been very warm and welcoming and and uh, of course Dr. Keller is is a fantastic preacher of God's word which was really primary for us. We wanted to be in a church where we can be learning and growing with under someone that has a thorough knowledge of the Word. But honestly, not just Dr. Keller, some of the best sermons have been when we've heard um, associate pastors speak as well. So it's been a great experience for us. We've been very encouraged. Yeah, it's like having a whole church of first-string pastors. I, I understand. <laughs> I've seen the lineup. It's, it's pretty incredible. There's a lot of guys there, ladies and gentlemen there, that are incredible leaders, uh, especially in, I mean, just really in the church transformation mo- movement where people are saying, hey, we can't keep doing church the way we've been doing church. We got it. It's got to be done differently. And Redeemer's been a leader in all that. that. That's fantastic. I'm thrilled to death that you're involved in that. You didn't know. I'd know what church you're going to. All right, so let's go back to the Museum of the Bible. I'm excited about this because I'm amazed constantly at people from whatever faith they may be in. Most, you know, when I was a kid, didn't matter what faith people were, everybody knew about the Bible. Everybody knew about the Bible. Whether they were Jewish, whether they were Catholic, whether they were Baptist, or whether they were just atheist, everybody knew about the Bible. Most people had even cracked it open, and almost every family had one. Now, in today's world, I run into people all the time. It doesn't matter whether they're Jewish or whether they're atheist or whether they're Christian, quote-unquote. I'm amazed at how many people have never cracked it open at all. Or if they ever did, it was only because they had to read a verse or whatever. Or they did the hunt and peck method where they open it up and they close their eyes and like, Oh, God, speak to me! And then they put their finger down and hope. So what, uh, what I love of the fact is that not only are you guys... Well, talk, talk to me about the whole purpose behind the Museum of the Bible. Right. Well, I mean, you're, you're driving right at it. So when we began this quest, it began with a major survey that we had conducted uh, to find out what was the interest level for a museum dedicated to the Bible. And we really thought that we knew what we were going to get, that we were going to get a, a passionate few that were, that were thrilled that there was going to be a museum and would definitely come, that there would be a moderately interested majority that, or, you know, if it was convenient, they might show up, and that there would be a dispassionate or a hostile few as well um, that would sort of be against what we were trying to do of, of just creating a museum for the Bible. The idea behind it is that we strip away beliefs and practices and traditions, and we just say, what is this book that has changed the world? And so, um, so anyway, the survey was conducted, and they were blown away at the response, because what they found was that uh, there was such a large majority of people that would want to make a trip 
to see a museum dedicated to the Bible. Um, and it, it began to make sense as we began to see uh, along in that questionnaire, one of the questions was to name a book that people consider sacred or holy. Um, and the top answer was the Bible. The second answer was the Quran. Um, and then even I think the fourth answer was the Torah. Uh, but the gap between number one and number two uh, the Quran came in at 10%, and the Bible came in at 86% of Americans that would consider it sacred or holy or special or, or whatever term you want to use. And so it makes sense that they – I think people are are still hold to the Bible in the sense that they know that there's something special about it, but they don't put in the effort to discover it for themselves, that they don't want to – you know, church attendance is down and, and, and Bible reading is down and things like that. It just seems harder to open up any book and read it. And so what the Museum of the Bible is trying to do is say, how do we engage – all people with this book? How can we help people see that this book is alive? Can we help make it come to life for them uh, in various ways? And that to show that this is a book that has transformed our world, even if you're not a religious person. Uh, I have my, my personal faith, obviously, as we've discussed, and have my personal views. But even if someone wants to say that they're not religious, you can't get away from the Bible's impact and its stamp on all of human history. I was walking uh, not an hour ago to, to pick up some groceries, and when I was walking back to my apartment, I passed a park, and they had this monument I'd never seen before. I stopped and looked at it. It was a, uh, dedicated to a lady who had, who had passed away tragically in a Titanic accident, and it had First Samuel, a verse from First Samuel, on this monument here in, in New York City, just a few blocks from my house. And so there's things like that all over the place, and not just on, on special monuments, but in our founding documents that the, the founders, you know, we, our government is based on uh, principles that have been applied from the Bible. And so we simply want to help draw people into this and help them realize that uh, if you want to, if you're walking away from the Bible, you're walking away from a lot more than you might realize, because the Bible has such a positive impact on our world. Michael, as you look at this, and, and I know you're, un, you're under construction already. I mean, it, it's already growing and going, and you already started the museum build-out, right? Right, exactly. It's under construction today. Talk to me about how people can get involved in this project, because this is something that you're giving the opportunity for a million people to get involved and get their name on a brick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, uh, we believe, I mean, the, the early estimates are that a few million people a year are going to come to, to visit this museum. It's right off the National Mall, a few steps from the, the U.S. Capitol there in D.C. And so it, it's going to be a major, uh, major trip. And I honestly, I mean, I've, I've said for a while as a, as a former pastor on a church staff, I, I think that this will be the greatest trip, especially in this country, perhaps Israel might have a speech, uh, that you could take for your faith. And so um, we want to give, we, we, one of the things we love is that this is not a project that is supported by uh, one man, one denomination, or, or just one group, but it's all these different groups of people that love the Bible that are coming together for its common purpose. So one of the ways that we want to highlight that is, is as you mentioned, with our One Million Names wall. And what that is is the first one million people that give a, a donation of, of any amount to the museum, we will put your name on the wall forever. And uh, the reason is is honestly because we want to highlight the diversity that exists in this book. And we want to show that not only has it made a difference and an impact on the history that we've had, you know, we've talked a lot about how it's changed the world in the past. We want to show it's still changing the world today. That still changes people's lives today. And so uh, 
Uh, we love the visual of those doors opening in about uh, a year and a, almost two years, November 2017, and being able to show the world, show world leaders that come through D.C., hey, there are a million people that gave to help make this project come about. Um, and the thing, I mentioned this, but the thing that I think is so exciting is they didn't, uh, it, it's no minimum. And so whatever people can do, so some people can do, some people can do $20, some people can do, you know, $100, $1,000, or a million dollars, but it doesn't matter. All those people can have their name as a part of this wall to help say, I'm, I believe in the Bible. I stand with one million people who support a museum, a project that holds up the Word of God. So that's our that's our hope for the One Million Names Wall, and people can find out about it if you go to mbible, as in museumofthebible.org. Um, you can find all kinds of information. You can put your own name up there. You can put a loved one's name on there that's, uh, that's passed on or a loved one and use it as a gift. But we just want to, again, celebrate how many people love this book by having a million names on a wall. Now, very rarely do I get involved in and projects, people building things. And when you shared that back on October 23rd at the Christian Chamber meeting, I like, Martha and I said, this is something we want to get involved in because I'm passionate about the Bible. I've read it 35 times. Every day I read it, I read something new. I'm like, was that really there last year when I read it? And and it was a a cool experience in 2015 to sit there and go out on your website and make that commitment. I I will tell you this, I was confused on how to say, where it was going to say, hey, here's what name I want on the brick because I wanted to put it my whole family name. And I think I got a follow-up email that said, hey, we're going to contact you to make sure that we know how you want to put your name on the brick or on the wall. But it was cool. Go out to museumofthebible.org and you can get involved in this. And it is a, this is going to change our country. Uh, and and it could be someday that yeah. the only Amen. place you can Lord willing. yeah well well that's right Lord willing and we know the creeks are already risen in the Midwest so we, we won't say that <laughs> all right but what just re, for the listeners just tuning in right now remind people why we need a museum of the Bible yeah again to I I think that people today would not believe how much of our world exists because of the Bible I mean obviously it is. Uh, you know, Life Magazine, this isn't just a religious perspective. Life Magazine in the year 2000, when they counted down the 100 most impactful events for a millennium, number one was the Bible being printed, when the Bible was able to be accessed, when uh, the History Channel did 101 objects that changed the world, it was the Bible that was number one, and not because of its religious impact, because people who love the Bible out of their care for others uh, developed hospitals, developed public school education systems, universities, developed uh, on and on, human rights came about because of the Bible, that it has had, um, there are people who we would say have misused the Bible over the years, but when the Bible has been properly applied to mankind, it has been good for all people, regardless of their faith. And then when you add in, you know, people of faith and the importance that the Bible has made in their life, it was the Bible that got uh, me through some of the deepest and darkest times of my life, when uh, when I didn't have uh, anyone to turn to. The Bible was there for me when I lost a loved one. The Bible was there for me as I prayed about whether or not to marry my wife. It was the Bible that was there for me, that uh, the Lord spoke to me directly through the Scripture. And uh, and so we, we think that this museum is, is so important because it can help be a home 
for the Bible. And so when we have all kinds of different initiatives, we've got a, a curriculum that we're developing for churches and schools. And when we have um, different talks and lectures of how the Bible can be applied to life, even today and things like that, that this museum would just be a beacon to help or a megaphone to help get the Bible's message out to the world today. Um, and Washington, D.C. Uh, was the perfect place, not only because um, because that's such a, a cultural hub or center, uh, but that's where people go to visit museums. And so our hope is that there will be many people who both agree and love the Bible and disagree or are skeptical that will come through those doors and have their life transformed as they see how the Bible's changed our world. Really quick before we go to break, tell me how you came to be involved in this project. you got about 30 seconds. Yeah, so I, uh, my wife had worked for a while for Museum of the Bible, and so um, that was kind of my road in. And then I worked part-time for a while while uh, I was still serving on church staff and as a speaker and, and you know, publicity, sort of the same thing I'm doing now, and then came on full-time about a year ago, and, and I've loved it. Love getting to serve pastors and local churches. Michael, as you look, how many square feet is the museum going to be? Yeah, great question. So the museum is going to be 430,000 square feet. So it has actually got more space than the, uh, than the Smithsonian. So it is a major, major museum. <laughs> That's a lot of square feet. Who counted all those squares? All right, so yeah, not me. Talk about. Let's talk about what's going to be there because people are going to museum of the Bible. Yeah. Really, are they going to have one page for you know? Are they going to wallpaper it in the Bible <laughs> or what's it going to be? Because this, the 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 wow, the the synergy that you're creating across the globe to put this together is amazing. And I know that this yeah. that, that this effort was started by the Green family, which is the Hobby Lobby family. And I, but I know that they have then partnered with with millions across, well, hopefully over millions across the world. Hey, first, before we, I, I want to thank Dolores calling in from Palm Harbor. I will get that copy of the Bible out to you later on this week. All right, so talk to me about what's going to be in this museum. Start with the the basement ceiling. Okay, you got it. So whenever you come in, one of the things we wanted to do is make it easy for people to navigate because uh, whenever you go to a museum, you typically have one item or two that you're wanting to go see. Uh, we took a trip to Paris, to the Louvre. We went to see the Mona Lisa. And then what do you do after that? And so when you walk into our lobby, you'll actually be handed uh, a tablet, and it will help. You can answer a short questionnaire, and it will curate a personalized tour for you through the Museum of the Bible. And so um, I can, we've got a lot of information. It's easy to feel overwhelmed, but the nice thing is that it can do that for you and for everyone in your group, and it will actually help you as you navigate through this museum, because the museum is probably different than most museums people have been to. When you think of a museum, you might think of a case and some books underneath some glass, and you kind of go from case to case. This museum is more like a theme park than it is a museum. It's highly interactive, and so as you go up to the first floor um, from the lobby, you're going to see our impact floor. And I mentioned some of these stories, but we want to share the stories of how the Bible has impacted our world. So how has, how has the American government been shaped, our founding of, the, of America been shaped by the Bible? How has work changed because of the Bible? How has our, our calendar, how, does, how has art been impacted? How have movies been impacted by the Bible? And this isn't just you know, what people think of as Christian art or Christian music, Christian movies, but I'm talking about Superman. How is Superman really uh, sharing biblical themes? Because it does in ways people may not realize. And so that's the impact floor, and it ends with a theme park ride, and you feel like you're flying over D.C., and it shows you all the places where biblical inscriptions are 
all across Washington, D.C. And so uh, we want to share the impact, how it's changed the world. Next, the history of the Bible, how we got this book, how it's, how it's survived throughout the centuries. And so this will be where a lot of our Dead Sea Scroll fragments are. Uh, we actually, you mentioned partnerships. We, we own, the Museum of the Bible has 40,000 items in our collection, right? And we're one of the largest Dead Sea Scroll collectors with 12 in the world. Uh, but the Israel Antiquities Authority has over 10,000 Dead Sea Scrolls. They have them all. And they have agreed to make Museum of the Bible their very first and only partner museum outside of Israel. So we'll have a permanent space where they'll display the, their Dead Sea Scroll collection where people can come and see them. And so um, that's the, really the theme of the history floor. And then lastly, our last major floor, at least, is the narrative floor. And the narrative floor will take people in a walk-through immersive experience through the Old Testament. So they'll go into a room and creation will unfold around them. And then they'll go to a room and the story of Abraham will unfold and on and on and on. Um, and then they'll step into a 180-degree screen theater that will share the story of Christ, his death, resurrection, start of the church. And then they can step into a Nazareth uh, recreated just like Jesus would have known it, just like in the time of Christ. And so it's going to be an incredible, powerful experience where all of a sudden people, I've read the Bible for years like you, but all of a sudden you'll go from reading it black and white on your, on your Bible and your book, on your NASB with Greek and Hebrew words, and it will begin to come to full living color. It comes to life around you in a way that uh, I think will be very moving. And so, um, so those are the three main floors. We've got uh, another floor where we'll be able to um, host various events. So we'll be able to have concerts in our theater that has 360-degree mapping technology so that it can actually turn, the, the, the room can be with a projector painted any color we want, any image we want. We'll have a grand ballroom where we'll have nice events. And we'll have an observation deck at the very top uh, where you can actually, we'll have the tallest building in the area. So you can look back over the Smithsonian at the U.S. Capitol, at the National Mall, and have a beautiful picture up at the top of the Museum of the Bible. So, so those are some of the highlights. There's certainly a lot more, but those are the big, uh, big ideas of that we want to share those three stories, and we want to provide some unique opportunities for people to engage with the Bible in a way they never have dreamed would have been possible in our lifetime. Well, and, and, and I think you missed one of the highlight pieces, because as I understood you saying it before, and maybe I misunderstood, but the, the building that you guys bought to build the museum in, in Washington, D.C., the basement ceiling, the basement is a subway. I mean, it, uh, it, yes. And you own the You're ceiling right. in the subway. <laughs> That's why I kept exactly saying the basement ceiling, and I didn't get it. subway stop in the world. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so talk about so that. Absolutely. So when we, well, we're right over a subway stop, which is a big deal in cities like New York and D.C., it's a really big deal. And we found out, uh, we asked what could we do to clean it up, and they, we found out we own the ceiling. So uh, project, we've got a, a digital ceiling that we're going to install, where as you come up this subway stop, regardless of if you're going to the museum or not, um, public subway stop, when you come up, there will be a massive digital screen that we can put biblical art, Bible verses, testimonials, whatever. Uh, this is actually the first thing that's been uh, given to, sponsored. Uh, I Am Second, uh, the organization, sponsored that ceiling. And so they'll be able to put up there whatever images that, that they want, and hopefully just to, uh, to brighten people's day up, to encourage people to share 
the Bible with them, and hopefully it'll draw people in where they will say, you know what, maybe we should go check out this museum. It'll be the the quality of the museum across the board will blow people's minds. I mean, it is not there are not corners being cut or something that's trying to be done um, uh, cheaply. Uh, We are, I mean, certainly being good stewards, but we are trying to have everything of the highest, highest excellence because we believe the Bible deserves the highest excellence. And so we're trying to do everything we can to put this on display where people will uh, be amazed at the wonder of the Word of God. Now, are you? Are there any major roadblocks in your way to your grand opening of November next year? Or has that all been removed out of the way? We have been—we expected a lot of roadblocks. Uh, it's, it's something as controversial as the Bible, and it's in Washington, D.C. Uh, we were amazed that throughout the, uh, especially all the process of getting our plans approved, we did not hit a single snag the entire process. Our architects, the firms could not believe it. And so uh, we've been overwhelmed with the support. And and the biggest thing, honestly, now is just getting people to help us share our story, to share this word, that this is something that is going to take an army of people that are willing to to support this thing to come about. Um, and so, as you mentioned, people getting involved and in, in following us on, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, sharing posts that they find encouraging and things that we can build up enough of a following that we can, uh, we can have some credibility when we speak to the world to say, hey, look at this, this book that has changed so many people's lives that we're all gathering together as people setting aside any minor differences that we may have for the great thing in common that we have, which is the Bible. And so that, that, that is our biggest kind of, I guess, challenge going forward, is to have, uh, have the people who love God's Word come together and say, hey, we, we believe in this. Let's all get behind this. It's pretty cool. You can find out more online at museumofthebible.org, and you can also get involved by helping support the museum and getting your name on a wall, one million name wall that they're doing, museumofthebible.org. Michael, I want to know what your favorite, give me two of your favorite items that are going to be in the museum, other than the Dead Sea Scrolls, because those are pretty cool. But you, you know, you being part of this organization, you know about a lot of the artifacts. What are a couple yeah. of the boy real highlights? Because when you say 40,000 items, I'm thinking, I just can't wait to see something cool. Because I'll never, I'll, <laughs> I may never get to Israel. Right. I mean, you're bringing Israel yeah. and the Middle East to Washington, D.C. And, and a lot exactly. of people listening exactly. today and that will listen to this over the years are going to go, yeah, I'll never get to go to the Middle East. But, boy, I can go to Washington, D.C. I can get a train to Washington, D.C. from anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of items. I think one in particular that stands out, um, you know, because of course we have things like the Gutenberg or the Tyndale Bible. I mean, Tyndale gave his life so we could have the Bible in English, you know, so there's there's tons of heroes that you could look at in this museum, but uh, but the Robert Aiken or the Aiken Bible. Robert Aiken was a printer during the American Revolution. He lived in the colonies, uh, and he wrote a letter to Congress asking for permission to print the the Bible because at the time the Crown owned England owned the copyright to the King James Bible, um, and Congress wrote back to him and said, "Not only do we give you permission." But we recommend the reading of the Bible to all citizens of the United States of America. Uh, and later on, it would even be encouraged. Washington would 
be asked, hey, would you be willing to give every soldier that served in the revolution uh, a copy of the Bible, the Aiken Bible? And he said he would have, but two-thirds of them had already been dismissed, and so it was just a matter of timing that it was too late of an idea to come about. But, uh, but, but I love that because it shows how uh, at the founding of our country, the Bible was held up so much, was seen as so vital to society that Congress actually recommended that all people of the United States read this book. And so that's, there's a bunch of items that we have that have just great stories like that, that people will be able to see and hear for themselves whenever they visit the museum or whenever they follow us online. You know, every single day we tweet out or, and Facebook update a different item of the day. Uh, and many of them have wonderful stories like that. Okay. So what, that's, what about that's an artifact? What about an artifact? Then, okay, that, that one's really cool. I like that. I'd never even heard that story before. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. What about an artifact, something that's old, that's going to be there? Yeah, so we have, a, we have Papyrus 39, which is a, art, a piece of the Gospel of John, found at the site of Oxyrhynchus, and it is the oldest surviving witness, which gives it the highest authority when it comes to textual criticism. So that's one of my favorite stories, um, telling part of Jesus' life right there. It's called P39. It's a famous piece. So that's another just great, important piece that we have that'll help as we have scholars from all over the world, from Oxford and Hebrew University and, and, and Cambridge, studying our items. Uh, they are studying items that are helping us better understand this book that we have and providing us with better and better translations. Michael, they started selling Star Wars tickets four months in advance, maybe even further now, but that's the soonest <laughs> I heard. When are people going to be able to get tickets to admission to the Museum of the Bible? Oh, man, I hope soon. I hope soon. We, uh, we don't have them on sale yet, but we do have a giveaway for a, uh, a grand prize where we're going to fly out one person to D.C. for the opening in November 2017 on our Facebook page. So as far as I know, that is the only ticket that's been given away to date. It's whoever wins that package. All right. Well, you got to let me know when people can start getting tickets. Maybe we'll do another show as we get a little closer to the opening. I think, Absolutely. personally, personally, I think I work for him should be live that day out of Washington, D.C. at the museum. I think that would be fantastic. That would That's be a great idea. Right next to yeah. P39. I just learned about P39 and ox, <laughs> Oxyrhynchus. Is that what you said? Oxyrhynchus? Yeah, Oxyrhynchus. Oxyrhynchus. Right. So. Got it. I'm going to look that up today. That's fantastic. Yeah. Anything else you want people to know? How can people get involved in helping support the museum? Go ahead and tell them one more time. Yeah, so uh, so we've mentioned the. you can follow us. I mean, certainly, first of all, pray for us. I mean, the biggest thing uh, you, is this is going to take a lot of prayer. We know that there's opposition likely coming, and so we're, we're, we've been blessed this far. But, uh, but please pray for us. You can follow us on our socials. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you find something encouraging or interesting, share it. Um, as well, the One Million Names campaign, you know, to give on behalf of yourself or a loved one, to have the name on the wall. It's something as, as important as Museum of the Bible forever that will stand there. Um, the last thing is, and this is maybe the, the most personal for me, is my job is to connect with pastors and churches. And so um, I simply ask, you know, what are three churches you know that would be interested in the museum. Uh, we have some packages of, of ways that churches can support us, share with their church what we're doing. Uh, we'll provide half-off tickets for any church that does that. We'll provide a bunch of incentives and, and deals because we want to make it, I personally want to make it easy, a no-brainer for churches to bring groups so that the faith of their people might be stirred and their, their love for God's Word might be increased. So you gotta get those me, are the best ways. you got to get me some of those packets. i got to say goodbye. Thank you so much. Michael McAfee with the Museum of the Bible. Find him online at museumofthebible.com. Thanks, Michael. 
Thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope that hearing about the museum excites you. As we learn about how to take the city for Christ, we need to know the history of the Bible. What was one thing you learned today? You know, just as it takes show sponsors to support the I Work For Him radio program every day, the Museum of the Bible needs your help. And they give you an opportunity to be part of the One Million Names Project, where they'll put one million names on the wall of the Museum of the Bible, going down in history of contributing to letting everybody in the world know about the history of the Bible and how, really, how accurate it is and how often archaeology proves what the Bible has said all along. It's amazing. We serve a God who gave us history, who shows, he said, this is what's going to, not only does he predict the future, but he's documented history. No other book in the world documents the history that's out there. Find out more about the Museum of the Bible at museumofthebible.org. But I encourage you, get your tickets as soon as you can when they go online to take your family and to celebrate the Museum of the Bible. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business, but you know what? Ultimately, I work for him. I work for him.